When I was in my mid-40s, I went through what was probably the greatest crisis of my life. I had been in Christian ministry for over 20 years. I had been known by many as a leader. I actually led part of an international missionary society with 500 missionaries under me. I just got an email a week ago from somebody who served with us back in those days, reminding me of something that I said in a message that was life-changing for him. So there was at least some fruit from those uh, more than 20 years of ministry. But I came to a place of profound personal crisis, and it had to do with relationships. It really had to do with the role that unhealed places within us play in our adult life. Because, you know, as we mature, there are different parts to us, and we might mature in this place and continue to mature. We might mature in this realm and continue to mature. And then in this realm, we might find ourselves blocked. And we enter our 30s and our 40s and our 50s and our 70s, and we can still be blocked. Childhood wounding that is unhealed has the danger of being carried over into adulthood and acted out in adulthood in ways that we don't fully understand. I was filled during this crisis with bitterness, anger. It was ugly. And it lasted an extended period of time, even years my crisis in my mid-40s. So what has that got to do with, why am I telling you this? Well, the theme for today is baptism. And the process that I went through with that crisis was a process of me further working through my baptism. Baptism lays the foundation for the rest of our Christian life. You know, at the end of our service, the celebrant stands in the back of the sanctuary and says, let us go forth into the world rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. It's hard to get any better than that. I think it would be also wonderful for there to be an option where the celebrant said, go, let us go forth into the world and live in our baptism. Because that's what the Christian life is, living in our baptism. And if our Christian life is not working, one reason that it's not working is we haven't yet learned fully how to live in our baptism. Okay, I have three points. Point number one, the Christian life is is composed of two megatrends. Two megatrends permeate the totality of the Christian experience. Now, in a word, those megatrends are death and life. Those two megatrends. If we want to add a little bit of content to it, we could say the death of Christ works in me in order that the resurrected life of Christ might be further formed in me. Because, you see, even in those words, we have to choose it. The Christian life is all of grace, all of grace, but I have to choose it. God is a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on us. He comes to us in the person of Jesus and offers us 
salvation in all of its fullness, and then he waits for our response. And we start off responding in the wrong way, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits. So the grace-filled, redemption, resurrected life of Christ that is available to me is something I have to choose day by day. So these two megatrends permeate the Christian experience. Death with Christ in order to receive the resurrected life of Christ. Now, the teaching of Jesus is full of this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. The teaching of Paul is full of this. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And so these two megatrends, both of which are crucial, death and life. Now, the message of death is not the most popular message in the world. I mean, you wouldn't draw a big crowd if you announced you're going to talk about death. So why on earth did Jesus talk about death? And why on earth did Paul talk about death? What is the whole point of death? You know, in the garden, God created our first parents, Adam and Eve, and he created them for intimacy with himself. He created beings with the capacity to share a deep, profound intimacy with their creator. This intimacy was to take place in God's presence. So the picture that we have in the garden is Adam and Eve walking in the presence of God. They didn't know shame. They were living moment by moment in the presence of their father, in the presence of their creator. And in that context, all of their needs were met. They were experiencing eternal life. Eternal life is simply life with God. Jesus told us that. This is life eternal, that you might know me, the only true, him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So this is eternal life. They experienced that. And then one day, our first parents made a disastrous decision. They were free to make the decision because God created them with the freedom to choose. This is at the very core of our humanity, the capacity to choose. If we didn't have the capacity to choose, we wouldn't have the capacity to, to create. The capacity to choose is resident in the heart. And that is why Christian formation begins in the heart. It begins with intention. It begins with the choosing of God. That's where it has to begin. And our original parents chose to go their own way. How could they have chosen that? They were living in the presence of God. They had everything they could possibly want. They had glory 24-7, and they chose to go their own way because they thought they knew better. They thought they could make a better life for themselves. And so they chose to go their own way, self-will. Now, before we get too hard on our first parents, it's obvious each of us have also done the same thing. We have chosen in our hearts to go our own way. I have chosen to go my own way. And self-will, think about it, self-will is the root of all of the sins. Self-will is the choice of the heart 
to go my own way or to rely on myself. That's another way to say it. Self-will is self-reliance. I'm going to rely on myself. I'm going to rely on myself. Now, self-will is toxic. Self-reliance is toxic. It's like having an intravenous attached to you and pumping poison into your system. That's what self-will is. It destroys the heart. It destroys the soul. It destroys the thoughts. It destroys the emotion. It destroys the body. It destroys relationships. Self-will, self-reliance. What is the Christian life like? What is it all about? It's about putting self-will to the cross. We learn to take self-will to the cross of Jesus, which enables him to transform self-reliance into God-reliance. And the consequence of God-reliance is a new life, a new life. And so the process of death is a process that we're all invited to experience day by day, day by day, day by day. Ever, ever, ever notice that? Every day offers to us the option of choosing to die to our own will. Now, when it comes to the cross, we don't have to manufacture it. The cross will come. We have to submit to it. Why does God allow crises? We are familiar with crises as a parish. We are familiar with illness. We're familiar with the breakdown of relationships. We are familiar with economic pressure. We are familiar with career problems. We are familiar with problems with family. Why does God allow crises? Any easy answer to that is, uh, I wouldn't want to give any kind of easy answer because there are all kinds of things in this we don't understand. But the issue in any crisis that I meet is not the crisis or why did this happen or what did somebody else do or why didn't God stop this. None of those are the issue. The issue is how am I going to respond? Because I can choose how to respond. I cannot protect myself from crises, but I can choose how I'm going to respond. And when I choose to respond, allowing the death of Christ to function in me, to take hold of me, that opens the way for Christ to form his resurrected life in me. And these two megatrends are put into place through baptism. There's a mystery about all this. I don't want to get into the mystery. I don't have time to begin with. But there's a mystery about all this. The very word sacrament comes from the Latin word that translated the Greek word of mystery. And you can think of a sacrament as the means of the the mystery to access the grace of God. There's a mystery about it. But in our baptism, you know, a, a, a key passage for me when it comes to baptism is Romans 6, 
meditate on that sometime. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Oh, I died to sin. Doesn't feel that way. I died to sin. When did that happen? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? What does that mean? We were buried, says Paul. Therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, even as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And then the summary in verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So we have been mysteriously joined with Christ in his death and resurrection, but no theology can just exist in the mind and have any fruitfulness in the life. It has to be worked out. Mystery. You know, when I think about mystery, I think about the kingdom of God. This is, you know, if we want to be disciples of Jesus, um, the main theme in being disciples of Jesus is the kingdom of God, because that's what Jesus' main theme was. That, that was the integrating theme of everything he taught, the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? I want to tell you a story. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed. It's the smallest of all the seeds. When it plant planted and it grows, it becomes a great tree. And the birds of the air nest in its shade. So the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Is it okay if I tell you another story from Germany? You know, we were in Germany this last fall, and we had invitations to go other places, and we were praying, Lord, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to go to Austria? Do you want us to go to Berlin? Do you want us to go to these places, people in India, the places people are inviting us? And the more we prayed about it, the more we felt God saying, no, I want you to stay in the Eiffel, Hannah's home region. I'm digging a well in the Eiffel, and I want you to be here and dig deeper. Okay, Lord. So we live in this village surrounded by farmlands and pastures and woods, beautiful walks all over the place. We went out for a walk one afternoon, and then Hannah said, let's go by the cafe. Our village has a cafe. Let's go by the cafe and uh, have a coffee and cake. That's the German thing to do. You know, you have to fit into the culture. (laughs) So we went and had a coffee and cake. Now, Connie is the owner of the cafe. Oh, it's good to see you back, et cetera, et cetera. Then she says, Hannah, is your book out yet? And Hannah said, well, yeah, it is out. Oh, can I see a copy? So Hannah shows her a copy. And Connie says, you know, I want a copy of this book. I want to buy this book. I want to buy this book right now and have you sign it. So, of course, Hannah was open to that. There was another couple sitting over here at this next table in the cafe. They're listening to all this. Soon the woman gets up and comes over and says, do you have another copy of that book? I'd like to buy a copy of that book and have you sign it. Well, it just so happens to do have another copy. And uh, here's another woman. She's sitting over here, and she comes up. Hey, do you have another copy of that book? I'd, I'd like to get a copy have you sign it. Well, just, we had some in the car, so we went, I went to get the books. Hannah does the signing. I go get the books. And then Connie said, Hannah, do you ever do any readings? 
So Hannah said, well, yeah, I do read. Would you do a reading in the cafe? So Hannah said, sure. So we get the date. Now, in Germany, if you do a reading, you have to have a poster. Hannah had already done a poster, in, uh, reading in Gamun. There was a poster there. So we contacted the person, did that poster, did a poster for Dalem, new information, same picture, Hannah reading her book. Pretty soon, this poster is all over Dalem. It's in the butcher shop. It's in the bakery. It's in the bank. It's in the uh, pharmacy. It's in the electrician shop. It's in the post office. All over Dalem is this picture of Hannah inviting people to the reading. When the day came for the reading, the place was packed. We couldn't get in there. The doctor was there. All the village influential people were there. Hannah did, of course, a great job reading. And now in Dalem, whenever we're there, we thought nobody knows us. We're just living here. They're all waving to us. Then Connie says, you know, my daughter went to high school in Blankenheim, that's another town, and there's a teacher there who takes her class to Auschwitz every year. Would you like to meet her? Sure. So Connie arranges for the teacher to come meet with us in the cafe. The teacher invites Hannah to the high school. Hannah goes to the high school, speaks to the students. This leads to other things. Are you getting the point? This is the kingdom of God. This is how God works. The kingdom of God is unseen. The kingdom of God is mysterious. It starts off like a grain of mustard seed, but then it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows and pretty soon bursts into the seen world. Brothers and sisters, to walk with Christ, the unseen world must be real to us. The kingdom of God must be real to us. The reality of our baptism, the having been set in place, the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ must be real to us. We have to work that out. We have to live that out. So here's the last point. As I mature, I learn increasingly to rely on the Holy Spirit. The apostolic pattern, repent, Acts 2, repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 19, baptize in the name of Christ, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here this morning. Brothers and sisters, Jesus stands before us as the healer. I love that place in the liturgy, in the Eucharist, where the celebrant says, we thank you for the forgiveness of sins, and all other benefits of his passion. So when Christ died for us, he did indeed die for our guilt. And he does indeed remove our guilt. But he does so much more. Jesus stands before us as the healer. What is the trauma? What is the wounding? Is it anger? Is it broken relationships? Is it confusion? Is it self-will? What is it? Come to Jesus. Let him teach us and lead us in discipleship to him in the fullness and beauty and resurrected life that he came to give us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.